Welcome to the podcast. This is a weekly podcast by Denver Transplants. We are the Andrews, and this is You Aren't From Here. There we go. Woohoo. 77. Yeah. And uh, we're back with another interview this week. This week, we are interviewing Spencer White, who's the co-chef slash co-owner of Dio Mio and Redeemer Pizza. So I don't know if you guys follow Dave Portnoy on Barstool or heard us talk about Redeemer Pizza, but Redeemer Pizza got voted by Dave Portnoy, Dave Portnoy as the best pizza in Denver. Specifically, I think it was New York style pizza. And he gave, um, I want to say he gave Blue Pan the same score or one one point below. So was, yeah, one point below or or something like that. But so um, they hit the scene hot. I mean, they've they've been around for a very short period. They're off of Lammer and Rhino, right behind Meadowlark. There's it's right next to Meadowlark. So if you want to go sit down and like eat at a table, you can go inside through the front, or they have a late night per slice place out back as well. So yeah, really cool spot out back too. The way you can find it is they have a little neon pizza sign with kind of the gooey globby cheese. So, and, and really cool, like back patio area, very, very much fits the Rhino vibe, um, yeah, exactly. but really, really good pizza. Dave Port and I reviewed at best pizza in Denver, but you know, so did Andrew summer. So that's also worth something, I think. <laughs> yeah. And we'll, we'll talk about my rating a little bit later, but uh, Dio Mio is also another one of their concepts. It's their original concept. It's a, an Italian restaurant. That's more, um, bar service type. So you go up, you order, and then, uh, they bring it to you. It's not your typical sit down Italian restaurant, but, um, I've never been, I think Andrew, you've been before and said it was really, really good. Yeah. Both spots, really good. Both spots. Uh, and he talks about it in the, in the interview, very dough focused because that's kind of his expertise, but super cool interview. Uh, listen to the end of this to check it out and get to learn a lot about not only the two restaurants, but his experience in the cooking and, and chef world, which is super interesting and uh, includes a travel around the world. So yeah, take a listen. Exactly. And did you, uh, did you do the Colorado nine this weekend? I did do the Colorado nine this weekend, actually shout out to Chad Sullivan. He organized most of this. We actually took it a step further because we wanted to do the six by nine, which is just doing six things nine times. So the, the Colorado nine, for those of you who don't know, uh, is typically you ski nine runs in the morning, then you go play nine holes of golf, and then you watch nine innings of baseball to the Rockies game at night. Super fun thing to do in kind of April, May time frame. really the only time that you could do it. Uh, but we wanted to kind of spice it up a little bit. So we added a few things. We added biking nine miles, which we did in between golf and the baseball game. And then the whole day we ate nine hot dogs and drank nine beers. So right. that was... Uh, a very exciting, fun-filled day, uh, but very tiring. I was like out of commission Sunday, and then Monday I still had a bit of what I call kind of smooth brain, where you're not thinking at, at your full capacity. But that makes sense. Very exciting challenge. I think uh, shout out to Chad for for organizing it as well. But uh, yeah, super fun. If anyone hasn't done it, uh, definitely worth the the tire the tiredness. Yeah, no completely. Two more housekeeping things just before we get into the bulk of the episode. As we announced, the Bar Madness uh, Happy Hour is going to be next Thursday. It's April 28th, and we'll post on our Instagram exact details of time and stuff, but imagine we're thinking five or six o'clock until 
people want to leave. So um, we'll be doing that. I, nothing really too crazy. It's just going to be us there uh, drinking with friends and listeners. So if you want to come meet us, if you've never met us or if you're a friend and you want to just drink with us, uh, we will be at recess next Thursday, April 28th. And we'll post more details on the Instagram. And the last housekeeping thing, Andrew, what has more letters than the alphabet? Alphabets? Finesse? <laughs> that's, that's a good guess. The post office. The post office. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. Yeah. I like that. I like the weekly dad joke. It's, you know, if you ever get put on the spot at anywhere and somebody's like, give me a joke, this is what it's for. You got yeah, to as, lo- as long as you listen to us every Wednesday, you're going to be so, so set to go. Yeah. So, again, that one was what has more letters than the alphabet? And the answer is the post office. So, I liked it. I enjoyed it. But, very, very good. Yeah. Where, so where do you get these out of curiosity? Uh, this is called the best jad jokes uh, at countryliving.com. <laughs> all right. I, I like I, it. Unfortunately, I'm not coming up with these all on my own. Some, some. I'm not a dad yet, so <laughs> I don't think so very soon. So we got some time. Practicing. Exactly. Awesome. Well, some big, big news in the travel world and some big news for DIA. Swetnam, do you want to tell us what it is? Yeah. So for this week at the What Did You Learn, we, you know, I would imagine most people have saw this by now, but just thought it's big enough news for everybody who travels. Um, Denver International Airport tweeted yesterday that they have informed they have been informed by the TSA that they will no longer be enforcing the national mask mandate at airports. As a result, masks are no longer required at Denver Airport, and we will be removing mask signage over time. And then they did reply to that tweet, and they said mask requirements could vary by airline or destination, so we still encourage passengers to carry a mask while traveling. So. Big news in the travel world. I, I'm not going to say much on it because I don't want to get political. I don't want to get into that realm. But as Matt and I used to always say, this is just uh, news that we're getting closer and closer to being normal again. So um, take that with what you will. But if you go to Denver Airport, you don't want to wear a mask. You don't have to anymore. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it makes sense that you kind of have to still continue to, to bring a mask. Stuff's always going to be constantly changing as different states, countries, you know, whatnot react to this, but yeah, very exciting. I think, um, I know a lot of people or their NPR posted a video, uh, on their Instagram about it too, where, uh, there was a flight from Seattle to Oregon and like they had announced it basically over the loudspeaker and a bunch of people took their masks off and were swinging them around. So I think generally pe- people are somewhat excited, you know, especially on longer flights, it is somewhat uncomfortable to wear them, but, uh, at the same time, you know, as long as we're taking the right precautions and, and all that kind of stuff, I, I think uh, there's no reason that we can't move towards a, a place where if things feel a little bit no- more normal. And, and maybe this uh, means that more people are going to travel around. So maybe maybe we see more people in our national parks over here in Colorado and whatnot, which is maybe a good thing, maybe a bad thing, but um, exciting news for travel either way. Yeah, no, definitely a, b- a big travel announcement. So. And as a reminder, just because we are Colorado and we are a, you're talking about, you know, Colorado and travel. I don't know why this pertains to it, but Earth Day is Friday, April 22nd. So if you want some celebrations of the Earth and celebrate our great Earth, you can do so on Friday or every day. Yeah. 
So, this is true. With that, Andrew, uh, where'd you go this week? Yeah, so this past weekend, as many people know, was Easter. Uh, so Easter brunch is always usually a big thing. And also on the list of stuff like Valentine's Day and whatnot that's stressful to plan and figure out. Easter brunch is probably up there. You know, another thing that a lot of people get reservations for, sometimes way in advance. Luckily, uh, my girlfriend and I, she got a reservation at this Deshaun Bay Tea House in Boulder. So not quite in Denver, but a short, you know, 30, 40 minute drive over to Boulder. Uh, And they have a great brunch on Saturday and Sunday. Uh, I would say overall, the the kind of food was pretty solid, Uh, typical kind of brunch fare and what you'd expect. So not entirely kind of with the tea house, although they did have some kind of, you know, Asian appetizers and whatnot of like Thai shrimp cakes and, and bao buns and stuff like that. But the kind of main attraction I would say of the place is just the interior decoration and the whole vibe of the place. Uh, when you walk in, it's a beautifully like ornately decorated building that has definitely kind of, I would say, you know, Chinese influence or like Asian uh, architecture with, you know, very uh, ornately painted kind of structures and columns. And there's a giant pool with a bunch of plants hanging out of it in the middle. So really cool decorations. Also really good tea. They have a really large selection and they kind of walk you through a lot of this stuff. So if you're new to tea or don't know if you like tea, it's a great place to kind of try and figure that out. The tea house. So like I said, it's located in Boulder. It is on 1770 13th street in Boulder. So kind of right near ish where you get off 36 on, on Arapahoe. big parking lot next to it. So it shouldn't be any problem traveling from Denver the kind of price range for the brunch, uh, which is only Saturday and Sunday from 9am to 3pm. is pretty standard. You know, the entrees are in the middle teens. We got the kind of steak and eggs, which was up there. I think it was $20, uh, but makes sense since you're getting a kind of steak dish. The cocktails weren't the $15 cocktails. They were around 11, $12. And they also have tea infused cocktails. So that was pretty cool, but overall like really cool place. I think it's worth the travel from Denver for the vibe and the interesting kind of setup, as well as the, the kind of history. So interestingly, Dushanbe is a city in Tajikistan, which is one of the countries kind of west, southwest of China, near, you know, Afghanistan and, and a few of the other places in, in what I'd call maybe Middle Asia over there. And Apparently, the, the city of Dushanbe gifted this tea house to Boulder for some reason that I still can't figure out and I haven't really been able to locate. So really interesting story, really interesting place. Overall, I would say I give it an, an 8.0 for the vibe and just for the, you know, to get into the eights to say, oh, yeah, you should travel there because it is, you know, Boulder, so a little further from Denver. I would say the food, the food was good, not fantastic, but on the whole, it's, it's worth definitely a trip over there. Wow. That's a pretty good rating. Yeah. It was a pretty, pretty good, great brunch spot. Great, great on Easter holiday. <laughs> it was funny that like being from the East coast, like you always dress up in like the pastel Easter colors, but going to Boulder, like I wore this pink shirt and I was like, Oh, I feel like so East coast because I'm wearing all, all this like Easter stuff, but did um, you, uh, what, like, I guess, can you still get coffee? I've never been to, I don't think I've ever been to a specific tea, tea house. Type place. Yeah. 
yeah. I mean, all of the kind of typical things that you would expect from a TS, you know, they have coffee and everything like the kind of, there's a counter in the place and it looks very much like what your typical coffee house would look like with all the kind of same fixings and, you know, even like pound cake and whatnot. So very like typical tea. You're not going to feel like out of place, but if you want to get adventurous, it's totally, you can there. So great awesome. spot. Great, great for Easter. What'd you get up to for Easter son? or for the, for the uh, I didn't do a standard tradition, traditional Easter. I just went to wash park. So um, I had a great time at wash park and just did the typical day. So I enjoyed myself and didn't hit the typical Sunday church vibes, but you know, Easter's different for everybody. So that's well, why I was looking at it. It's all about springtime and wash park is definitely springtime. So that's, that's awesome. Exactly. Was it, were there a ton of people there still? Uh, yeah, there was a lot, tremendous amount. So it's that time of year. That time of year. So, yeah. So that's the, uh, what you guys have come to know and love. And that's the main part of the episode. Uh, now we're going to sit back and relax. Spencer White, co-chef and owner of Dio Mio slash Redeemer Pizza. I would say that I went to Redeemer Pizza this past Saturday at like 11 o'clock. First time ever. Absolutely incredible. Put it on the list. I put it exactly on par with blue pan. I don't think you can go up or down. I think they're just uh, depends on what kind of pizza you want. I agree with you. I think it's the equivalent to best pizza in Denver. It just depends on what you want. So all right. get out there, try it. It's amazing. Buy the slice, buy the restaurant, whatever you can do to do it. So Spencer White, co-chef, owner, Dio Mio and Redeemer. Thanks guys. All right. Well, uh, thank you guys. Thank you, everybody. Uh, today we have Spencer White, who is the head chef and messed up as a co-founder. Uh, yeah. Uh, co-owner, co-chef of DMEO and Redeemer. Perfect. Spencer said better than I did. Uh, so Spencer, just to kick it off, can you give us a little bit about, tell us about yourself, your background and how you uh, came about opening DMEO and Redeemer Pizza? Yeah, cool. So um went to high school in Colorado Springs. I was born in Durango, Colorado. Kind of worked is just some goofy restaurant jobs there. Um, my first job ever was a busboy at the Texas Roadhouse and then wait tables at Macaroni Grill. And then uh, I moved up to Steamboat after high school. It was kind of a ski bomb. I went to Colorado Mountain College up there. Didn't quite know what I wanted to do. I was just getting my associate's degree up there. And then um, I was trying to get a job waiting tables up there and uh, ended up at this nice Italian place called Giovanni's. They didn't need any help in the front because it was kind of mud season, the slow time of the year. They were like, hey, you know, if you like, if you want to work in the kitchen, you can totally do that. So I started working in the kitchen back there. And then there was this guy, uh, Chef Peter Howler. He was this really talented chef from Chicago that was kind of taking a year off and just going to be a ski bum and steamboat for a year. And got back there and I just like, I loved it. It was like, it was like a pirate ship. There was like knives and flames and everybody was like drinking beer in the kitchen. It was just like <laughs> so much fun. And so uh, kind of kept doing that. I kept going to college. It took me, uh, you know, four and a half years to get my associate's degree up in Steamboat. I skied 100 days a year and worked full-time in kitchens. It was great, great living up there. And then uh, I was really close to getting my 
uh, my bachelor's degree in uh, public relations and marketing. So I moved to Denver to finish my degree at UCD. Um, and then when I moved to Denver, I started working at Luca de Italia um, as a Frank Bonanno concept. So there, it's on 7th and Grand. It used to be much fancier than it is now. It was like white tablecloth when I first started working there. Um, and then there's a really talented chef named Hunter Pritchett. And kind of when I got there and started cooking there and everybody, you know, cooking up in the mountains was really uh, kind of people, some people just do it so they can go snowboarding in the mornings, whatever. They don't take it as seriously. And then when I got to this really nice restaurant in Denver, I was like, wow, you know, like all these guys, they like read cookbooks on their days off and they're doing the, like all these cool dishes and they're like really into it. And uh, I really just kind of like excelled down there and kind of realized that was what I wanted to do for a living. Um, and also kind of realized I was just like naturally good at it. You know, like I worked with these guys that went to culinary school and like had been cooking for years and I could always hang with them. So I kind of realized I had a knack for it. And that's kind of when I got more more serious about it. But I did finish my degree from UCD, so I do have a public relations and marketing degree that I don't really use now. <laughs> wow. So it sounds like you kind of stumbled into the restaurant up in Steamboat at Giovanni's, but do you have like a particular affinity for Italian food? Or it sounds like you're very good at cooking it. But was that kind of always a, an interest or a food you like to eat previously or, or how'd that work no, out? No, I think it was. It was kind of just the uh, luck of the draw. It was like a couple restaurants uh, I stumbled into and just happened to be kind of Italian focused. So then I worked at Luca de Italia for several years. And then I uh, was on the opening team as a line cook at the Populist when that place first opened, which is where Mr. Oso is now. So I worked there for a while. And then um, as soon as I graduated, I knew I was going to get really serious about cooking. So I went and backpacked around Europe for about six months. And then I ended up landing in Copenhagen. I tried really hard to get a job at Noma, the number one restaurant in the world. But like, I couldn't even, you know, so at Noma, the whole deal is there's like 50 or 60 cooks in the kitchen all the time. And they only pay 10 of them. So it's like 50 unpaid stagiaires from all over the world. And I tried my hardest. I couldn't even get an unpaid job at Noma. It was too competitive then. So I ended up at a restaurant called Broer, which was two sous chefs from Noma that left there and started a more casual restaurant. Um, so I worked at Broer for about a month in Copenhagen and then backpacked around Europe and ate and drank. And um, when I moved back is when I met Alex Bagheera, my current business partner. He was the chef owner of a restaurant called the Lower 48, which was downtown, which is now Denver Ted's. It was at like 21st and Lawrence, um, which is so funny to go in there now. They're like slinging cheesesteaks. I'm like, it used to be like a very nice fine dining restaurant. I was like, man, I used to make like the best food here. And now you guys like sell cheesesteaks down here. But that, that was kind of like the beginnings of, uh, of our working relationship and kind of what, what pivoted us towards DMU. Gotcha. And what was it? Because at what point did you decide you guys were going to open DMU and come up with the whole concept? And how'd you guys go about doing that? Yeah. So um, the Lower 48 was, it was a really, really cool restaurant. It was a very special time. It was, uh, you know, Alex. Alex has a very impressive cooking background as well. He worked at, um, his first cooking job was at Vetri in Philadelphia for Mark Vetri, which is a very famous spot. Um, he worked at Frosca in Boulder. He worked, he was a sous chef at uh, Blue Hillstone Barns in New York for Dan Barber. He went and worked at Cellar de Con Roca, which is the number one restaurant in the world at one point in Spain. 
so he's kind of like you got a very uh very high pedigree and i really wanted to work for him like as soon as i was flying back to to denver from europe i was like man if i worked anywhere it would kind of be for this guy who just opened a restaurant downtown and then um the sous chef we had at the time before i was the sous chef there was this guy named uh greg he was the head butcher at the french laundry for two years before he started at the lower 48 so it was like me i just gotten back from europe this guy from the laundry it was alex and we had this really talented pastry chef rich he just got back from working in france um, so we had this kind of like all-star crew. We were making this like super dope food, but uh, the concept just never really caught on downtown. I think it was kind of the the location. It was kind of close to the mission. It was a little goofy, but the writing was on the wall that that place wasn't going to last forever. And um, we just kind of like, part of it was just like us being, Alex and I were just cooked. So, you know, on our days off, it was like, well, where are we going to take our girlfriends? that are like that like makes the same quality of food and that doesn't cost like three hundred dollars and so you know and uh a lot of it is just like denver is a a casual town you know like you know people wear their flip-flops all year long and you know their puffy jackets all the time and don't really get dressed up a lot and whatever so a lot of it just stemmed from like us being like where would we want to take our girlfriends our day off and like make a more like casual eatery that was still like everything was made from scratch. We were still using these like techniques that we've learned from these really cool restaurants from all over the world. And um, just, you know, just a more sustainable kind of like restaurant model than we were also kind of sick. Like, you know, when you work in fine dining restaurants like that, you work, uh, you know, 90 hour weeks pretty common. So we just kind of wanted to make like a little bit more of a sustainable model. And then we also wanted to like um, a big part of, Dio Mio being counter service was to like get the cooks in the tip pool and have them run food and make it not like not watch the bartenders walk out with $300 every night when we're there slaving away all day and stuff like that. So through that, just kind of spitballing ideas, we kind of came up with like, you know, the pastas that we do, we both have pretty good Italian backgrounds and the pastas that we do are always top sellers at the lower 48. So we were kind of like, why don't we just do like a more simple pasta concept? It seems to always work. There's something very like Denver about like a big bowl of noodles, you know, it's like a big hearty meal, you know, especially the cold weather here. Um, so that's kind of how the idea of DMEO started. That's awesome. And I, that makes a lot of sense, like looking back on that, because when every time I've walked into DMEO, I'm like, there's something so global about this place, but it also feels so like homey and local and like specific to Denver. And I also love the concept of the counter service because normally like Italian food, especially like big, you know, hearty pasta dishes that like the ones that you guys serve uh, are usually kind of family style, like big piece, like sit down, like a whole event. But this is kind of like a really cool concept. And I think it, it, it serves well for the kind of stuff that you guys put out. It's, it's really, really cool. But that, that's interesting. That makes a lot of sense coming from like a more global uh, sort of background. And, and I guess maybe speak a little bit more about the location too. So previously you guys were downtown uh, being now up in the Rhino kind of five points area. Was that a, a strategic decision for you guys? Or, you know, what were you thinking when you opened that up? Cause obviously that neighborhood's kind of really exploded in the last five years or so. Yeah. So um, we, we just love that neighborhood. Uh, you know, especially Alex worked at the populace with me like one day a week when he was trying to get open the lower 48, but ever since like we started working at the populace like we always kind of like just love that area and like 
Um, I lived pretty close. I lived in like the Whittier neighborhood um, when I was working at the Lower 48. So we just loved that neighborhood and just really wanted to be a part of it down there. So we just got super lucky when we found that space and jumped on it. We uh, we were super broke when we started DMO and like scrapped together like as much money as we could to to do that. But uh, you know, Alex and I like hung most of the drywall at DMO and like we built all the tables. Like we built the benches when we first opened. We had like all crappy used equipment when we first opened. Tommy Lee from Uncle and Hop Alley gave us a free stove that we still use in DMO to this day. We had one hand crank pasta machine was the only pasta production we had. No, we hand crank? Like, I would cr- oh yeah, I would God. crank needles <laughs> for like, I crank needles all day in there. I would like, when I started teaching other cooks how to do it, I would time them. I'd be like, all right, you got 45 minutes to roll this all pasta and you make 45 or is a fettuccine or like, we're not going to get it done today. We had this, uh, this cook, Miguel, that used to work for me forever. He's still around town, but uh, I swear his right arm just looked like Popeye from cranking noodles all day, just <laughs> cranking noodles out of that machine. He had just one huge arm. Um, but yeah, and then back to the concept too. Uh, we we knew that the counter service thing was going to be kind of tricky, not having servers. So right away, I mean, the portions at DMEO were like a little more like fine dining and smaller when we first opened. It's like coming from our background and we quickly pivoted. We're like, well, if we just give everybody like a bunch of noodles, nobody really needs help at the tables. Like if you give them a big plate of bread, a huge bowl of pasta, nobody really asks for anything else. They're like happy. They're good. (laughs) So that was kind of how we landed with that too. That's awesome. And I guess moving to just so that we don't completely abandon Redeemer, can you tell us about how you guys decided to start Redeemer and how that ended up occurring? Because it's fairly yeah, new. So, also? Yeah, so Redeemer opened uh, July, August of last summer. So we'll be coming up on our one year this summer. We, you know, we've been shopping for this uh, another space and we've been working on this concept for a long time. But um, Alex and I are both pretty passionate bakers. And then when we initially opened Dio Mio, for some of you guys that went in there in the early days, we had this big uh one deck electric like deck oven there's this like giant piece of equipment it was a swedish deck oven um we got it off of ebay for 1500 bucks and then we shipped it from texas for 500 bucks and the thing crapped out probably after a year and a half and and the whole deal with the big uh deck oven is that they're steam injected so you can do like nice loaves of sourdough bread in there and so we were really pumped that we got this this oven and we could like make loaves of bread in the restaurant so the it, it kind of like snowballed from that. And initially, we really wanted to do a bakery that did pizza one or two nights a week. It was kind of like the initial concept we were first working on. And that's why we have that really nice espresso machine at Diomio too. Is like, I'm a huge coffee nerd. I got like super into it. But I was like, if I'm going to open a bakery. I'm going to learn everything I can about coffee. So I'm like a huge coffee nerd. I've done like AeroPress competitions. I'm like super into it. I have this like nice gear down there and stuff. And and the idea behind doing all that was that we were going to open this bakery that did like morning contests. And then so the pizza like a couple nights a week was like, you know, Alex is like, a, he's a way more talented baker than I am. He's like making pastries and bread and all that stuff. He's way better than me. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to learn everything I get about pizza. I'm going to be the pizza guy. I'm going to do the pizza program like a couple nights a week, whatever. And then we just like, I got really into pizza. Like it was like eye opening how cool it was. It was like 
just like making bread and like just started nerding out on pizza. And I flew to Philadelphia and stopped at this place called Pizzeria Badea. Um, so this guy, Joe Badea, he won a couple, like he got Bon Appetit best restaurant of the year. I think is how I initially heard about him. He used to have a tiny pizzeria where you do like 30 or 40 whole pies a day. And it was just him and one other person. Um, and then he, a couple years ago, he opened this big pizzeria um, and, they, and they do like 500 pizzas a day now in Philly. But so as soon as they opened the new one, I was like, that's really cool. And then they also had those pizza master ovens like we have at Redeemer. So I was like, oh, before I buy this really expensive oven, I want to go work on one. So I flew out there. But that's kind of how Redeemer started. It's like we, we really wanted to do this bakery thing. And then as we both got into really into pizza, we were like, pizza's cool. Like, let's let's do this. The cool thing about that oven we had at Dio Mio, too, is uh, it is the same, that Swedish deck oven that we had at Dio Mio when we first opened. That's their American counterpart is Pizza Master. So essentially, it's like wow. the same oven. It's like wow. a whole circle. <laughs> um but uh and so the bottom deck that we have at redeemer is a little bit bigger it's like a bread deck um and it's steam injected so that we can like make the hoagie rolls we can make loaves of bread we can do all our bread production down there we can still kind of scratch that bakery itch that we've always kind of wanted to do yeah that's awesome and and also i think i was reading somewhere you mentioned sourdough earlier i think maybe it makes sense to talk a little bit about how you guys think about the pizza at Redeemer, because I think it's super unique and very interesting because coming from that bread background, right? Is the dough sourdough dough in the pizza? Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a 15% starter. 10% of the wheat in there is house milled wheat that we get the uh, wheat berries from Moxie. They're up in Boulder, but 90% of it is sourced from Colorado. Um, So we're milling wheat in house. It's, 15% 15% sourdough starter and then the rest of the flour um, we have those big shipping containers that you walk through when you go in the pizza window back there so it's really cool we we dropped those in so now we can get pallets of flour directly from central milling in Utah and so we buy like pallets of flour for both Dio Mio and Redeemer now but it's cool that we have the storage and those things open up to the alley too so we can move pallets of flour into into the back of them uh, but yeah it's you know we uh we looked at this whole pizza thing through the eyes of like being bread guys. So I don't know, we probably overcomplicated it. And we, we worked on this concept for a long time. So the pizza dough recipe, and we still tweak it a little bit, but that was like my baby for like two years. I'd make pizza dough like twice a week for like two years. <laughs> I'm sure my fiance has got so sick of eating pizza at home all the time, but, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's cool. And, you know, that's kind of why it's like that New York 2.0 style pizza is that uh, it is like, you know, as is, is nerdy as you can get with making pizza dough. And that, that's kind of the cool thing about the concept, too, is, you know, we use grande cheese on the pizzas, which is kind of like your mom and pop like cheese. You know, you can get it kind of anywhere. But I really like the kind of the juxtaposition of like the highbrow, lowbrow. Like the crust is like have fresh milled and like sourdough leaven and we like ferment it for at least three days and it's like you know it's like high end as it could be and then we kind of put like your mom and pop like mozzarella on it because it's really good it's nostalgic that's awesome i love that if you if you were to go there say you've never been there before what would you order at each of those or what's your guess what's your go-to order but what would you suggest for a newcomer 
And then, and then what do you enjoy making the most as well? Um, I would say just the, cheese, just the cheese pie at Redeemer is really, really good. And, you know, the cheese pie is kind of plain, so you can really, like, taste the sourdough and the bread and kind of get the full experience of it. Um, and then at Dio, it kind of changes. So uh, at Dio, we've had our CDC, our chef de cuisine, Chad Graybill, really, really talented chef. He's been with us for about two and a half years now. He came up through the Uchi group. So he opened the Uchi here in town. Um, he worked at Uchi, Uchi Co. in uh, Austin. He opened the Uchi Dallas. And then he was on the opening team of Uchi Denver. Um, and then he kind of parted ways with them and started working with us. But he makes like really cool stuff. And he has that cool like Asian background too. So like right now we have like a squid ink ravioli that's like stuffed with shrimp and it's in like a mushroom pho broth on the menu. And um, he just kind of does his own does his own thing. And uh, we've never wanted to like pigeonhole ourselves like a traditional Italian restaurant at Dio So we just let him let him do whatever we want. Sometimes we'll poke fun at him and we're like, you know, because I feel like his his Asian dishes slap way harder than his Italian dishes and me and Alex would be like well you're not very good at making Italian food but I guess you'll be the chef here <laughs> we just give him <laughs> very talented food <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah that and then most fun to make for me has always been uh, the dough at both restaurants I love making the dough get my hands in there you know it's so important to Redeemer because it's the backbone like the whole business to make sure that they're hitting their temperatures and they're making sure their fermentation is perfect. And, you know, it's so important down there. So I always try to get my hands in the dough as much as possible down at Redeemer. And then I love making pasta dough, making pasta Dio. I always joke, you know, carbon knife goes next to, uh, next, next door to Dio Mio. So I have like all these beautiful Japanese knives. Now I like never touch them. <laughs> I never do any like knife prep. I'm like make dough, I make pasta dough, I make pasta, I make pizza. I like never touch all these like beautiful Japanese knives I have now. Um, but yeah, that's just because I'm always trying to work with the dough when I'm at both the restaurants. Yeah, that's awesome. When you were uh, back in your days of Texas Roadhouse and Macaroni Grill, did you? One, did you ever think you'd be a chef at two restaurants? No. Two, did you learn anything from those experiences that you use today? Oh man, I mean, obviously, I think I got a good taste. It's obviously a completely yeah, different good. type of cooking, and like production and everything yeah no and so i was in the front of the house about those restaurants but uh you know i got a good taste of just kind of like how wild the restaurant like industry lifestyle could be i think you know i used to these that make me uh sweep the parking lot at the texas roadhouse and me and my buddy would go take bong rips in his car and then come back <laughs> in and bust tables and then if you've ever been to a macaroni grill they have all those like big bottles of like house wine like lined up in the middle of it I used to put one of those in my backpack every night when I was like a senior in high school and then take it to a party and barter for beer for red wine. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's great. Um, so I don't know if you, it doesn't sound like you learned too much, maybe just outside of the crazy restaurant scene. No, <laughs> no, I wasn't taking it too seriously then. Mostly just trying to make, make beer money in high school or whatever. Yeah, no, completely. So one question that was on our list that I would imagine, just, I don't know, it was kind of interesting. I mean, we obviously, if you follow Barstool, I think a lot of our listeners probably do, uh, the Dave Portnoy rating of Redeemer Pizza, which usually for a restaurant only being open for six months, I can't 
it had to have been a decently big deal for you guys. Were you guys excited about the opportunity? Did you guys reach out to him? Like how did it all go? We were pumped. Um, My fiance Lulu does all our social media stuff for both the restaurants. So she was on it. Like as soon as she heard that they were coming to town, she was like tagging them and tweeting at them as much as possible. And I think she's a big reason why we got on the, on the list to go visit. Um, But yeah, I was, I was stuck, you know, like just doing uh, this pizza restaurant for research for like years leading up to Redeemer opening. I probably seen all of them. I watched like the weird unboxings over the pandemic and like, you know, like I've probably seen all of them. He goes to such cool pizza places. So I was very stoked when he came in. Um, I was actually off that day and heard that he was coming in, like jumped in my truck and drove down there. I was like, I'm going to make some pizza <laughs> for Porter when he comes in. Uh, but yeah, he's, he was uh, exactly as you'd imagine him to be. He's very nice. But, you know, he's literally like what you see in the videos is what you get for sure. I was stoked with the 7.8 score. I think that uh, we could have gotten a higher score if we weren't like the last pizza he ate that day. Like he already ate like eight slices. So if you watch his videos, you always like when he's super full, he never gets like as good of a score. I feel like his best scores are when he's like, oh, I'm starving. I haven't eaten anything all day. And he's like, oh, this is an 8.5 or whatever. <laughs> yeah. So I think we maybe could have gotten in the eights if he was uh, not stuff full of other pizza. But yeah, no, I was pumped. And then we got, we didn't know when that video was going to air because he came and filmed it like a week and a half before it aired. And they don't tell you when it's going to drop. So it dropped on like a Thursday night or a Friday or something. And we just got rocked. We had to close that Sunday because we, our dough is a three day ferment. We literally, we sold like all of the dough we had in the restaurant. We sold like, you know, gallons and gallons of red sauce and like cheese and all those stuff. So we actually had to close on Sunday that week. I think it came out on Thursday. We just got slammed. Wow. <laughs> so so there is a pizza effect from from wherever he goes. I mean, obviously, you guys have fantastic pizza, too. But I agree. It deserved to be in the eights. I was disappointed. But beat Blue Pan, so that's exciting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I think Blue Pan got 7-9. So oh, was we it just ahead? Oh. Yeah, I think so. But he said best New York style in Denver. So I'll take that. Yeah, it's big. Andrew's from uh, from New York, so he always – I never understood the excitement, and I, don't know, I guess I haven't eaten enough New York pizza places, but he always touts about New York pizza, and I'm always just like, it's it's just pizza, isn't it? <laughs> no, it's – it's so Yeah. I mean, Spencer knows way better than I do, but that's why I was excited about the New York 2.0 because I, I came on the podcast and was like, sweat, dude, you got to try this pizza. Like, it's sourdough. Like, it's awesome. I love the – I love the Redeemer crust that you guys do with it. That's what I was still kind of talking about before, but no, it's a, it's a different lifestyle, right, Spence? Yeah, man. And, uh, you know, I didn't really, you know, I'm a Colorado guy too. And so I didn't really like understand like the East coast pizza thing until I like went to Philadelphia and hung out there. It was like, Oh, this is like ingrained in their culture out here. It's like, a, it's a whole different deal for sure. Um, so I didn't really get it until I kind of traveled to the East Coast and started eating more pizza and paying attention to what's going on out there too. And uh, uh, but yeah, no, I mean it's a it's a different thing. Like if people don't understand like the East Coast pizza culture, it's it's more serious than people people realize. I think. I think the other interesting thing and one of the things I found also super cool about Redeemer too is like a lot of the you know pizzerias or delis and stuff and in, in the 
East Coast area, like they're kind of like hangout spots and they're spots you can go, you get some good food, but it's kind of casual, laid back. Like it's always a pretty friendly environment. And I feel like Redeemer has a really cool concept with that, with the slice window in the back. Maybe you want to talk a little bit about that and, and the thinking behind that, because that's an awesome concept. And I assume it's been a super hit, big hit every time I've gone. It's been a long line. Um, but I think that's yeah. marrying it. And, and maybe you could speak a little bit more about having it here at, at Redeemer. Yeah, um, no, I think we're super fortunate. We kind of like went back and forth on like the service model and how we were going to do the back patio. And we knew we wanted to do a slice window. But we weren't sure if we were going to like have some tables back there where they were going to be like more full service. And then, you know, quickly realized that the metal lark is just always going to blast music like super loud, you know, like that's their thing. So we were like, oh, I don't think we can do like, you know, have old people drinking a bottle of wine back here. I don't think that's going to work out. Um, so yeah, <laughs> I think, you know, what's stuck down there is very cool. You know, you couldn't ask for like a cooler atmosphere, that weird like greenhouse situation back there. We're so lucky to like find that space, you know, it's like such a cool piece of like Denver history, especially in Rhino. The metal arc, I mean, when I first started working at the Populous, Rhino was sketchy. Like the Populous was like down there. Like I can't believe I owned Dio Mio down there because it was like, I was like, the Populous is in no man's land. This is crazy, you know? And so we would walk as like a group because there's crazy homeless people in between. And it was either to the, the metal arc or the matchbox. That was like the only place you could go get a drink after work when the Populous first opened. So yeah, I mean, we're super lucky to have them as neighbors and, uh, you know, I used to love going to jazz nights there like 10 years ago on Monday nights, you know, it's, it's such a cool bar, but yeah, we're really lucky. And then um, I think just doing the counter service thing for so long at Dio Mio and us both coming from like fine dining restaurants, we kind of missed that a little bit. So we wanted to do a little bit of the full service thing in the front. Um, so it's kind of best of both worlds for us down there. Nice. And so looking ahead, for the future of, I guess, Spencer White or Dio Mio or Redeemer. Uh, is there, what's the future plans? Is there any new concepts you're going to open? You're going to expand the current concepts. What are you guys thinking on that front? No, I think, you know, we always kind of uh, talk about maybe or like, oh, you know, this area, would, you know, Dio Mio would maybe work over there. You know, maybe we do a Redeemer over here or whatever, but nothing nothing serious in the works and uh you know redeemer is um it is so dynamic right because it's essentially like three restaurants in one it's like we have the full service in the front we have the back patio and then uh you know pizza to go is a thing so we do like a, a good amount of to-go food out of there so we're kind of just trying to still like set up redeemer and get it going and uh figure out the best way to run that place Dio Mio is kind of a machine these days especially with uh my wonderful staff I have down there. So it's not quite as hands-on as it used to be, but nope, we're just, uh, you know, we're bracing ourselves. This will be our first real summer down in Rhino because we kind of opened in the, the end of the summer. So just kind of bracing for the, the craziness that is that um, ahead of us the next, once the warm weather hits. Yeah. Gotcha. And, and I guess maybe kind of coming back to it too. Uh, can you talk about the names of, of each place? I feel like restaurant names, that's always a, a big thing. Are, is there any kind of story behind either of the names? Uh, kind of. Uh, so Dio Mio, we have the logo first. 
Um, so I was like, maybe we do the prayer hands with like the pasta thing. So then we kind of like had to think of a name that kind of went with that. Dio mio means my God in Italian. People always think we're like a Christian pasta restaurant. <laughs> we are. Um, yeah, we have the we have the logo. We thought that thing was super cool, so we had to figure out a name for that. And then when we opened Redeemer, so Redeemer is a type of wheat. Um, it's a hard winter wheat that comes from North Dakota. We buy it whenever it's in season to make pizza dough with, uh, mill it in house. So we we thought it'd be cool to do like kind of a wheat varietal name, and then uh, Redeemer's kind of got the like religious undertone, so it fits in as like the family of restaurants, but. Um, yeah, for the record, we are not uh, a Christian restaurant group. <laughs> Got it. And, and and on the Dio Mio logo, one thing I thought about one time when I was looking at it is that's also kind of the way you twist spaghetti, sort of, just upside down, right? Like if you wanted to just sort of... <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. It was funny when we were designing that logo, it was... Uh... I kept we kept going back to the designer because he had like one noodle on it at first. I was like, more pasta. And he'd send me back another draft and be like, more pasta. We probably did that like five <laughs> times. He was like, all right, that's as much spaghetti as I can put on this pork. <laughs> that's awesome. Dude, no one could eat this bite of pasta. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So last question, uh, just to close it out. If if people wanted to see Spencer White in the flesh, would you are you do you spend more time at Redeemer or are you at more Dio Mio nowadays? You know, it really just depends on uh, staffing. So if like one of my chefs is on vacation or my sous chefs, like I might be a DO all week or, you know, maybe like a cook called out Redeemer, I'll be down there. But um, I will be at Redeemer tonight. I always try to work at least one weekend shift, like a Friday or Saturday night at one of the restaurants. And then, uh, yeah, it's kind of sporadic through the week. That's, um, you know, Alex and I used to joke that, when when it was just Dio Mio open because you know we're both chefs and we'll both can we both kind of do the same thing when we're there but um you know you'll get Dio or Mio but you'll never get Dio or Mio so that's the nice thing about having uh, a business partner that can kind of do everything is we'll switch off kind of man in the shifts at the restaurants nice that's awesome all right well thank you Spencer White uh for being on the podcast he is the one of the founders and chefs of Dio Mio and Redeemer Pizza. Thank you, Spencer. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys.